to the Families Voices podcast. Our podcast today is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. The Family Voices podcast is a series of conversations with families of young children with a developmental delay or disability. We aim to build parents' knowledge, skills and confidence in navigating early childhood services and supports. The podcast is also an opportunity for families to share their stories. This podcast series is brought to you by Early Childhood Intervention Australia, VicTAS. We're a membership-based organisation that's proudly worked alongside families, practitioners and other organisations that provide supports for young children with disability or developmental delay and their families for over 35 years. To learn more about the podcast and our organisation, please visit ekiavic.org.au. Hello, my name is Kerry Bull and I'm so pleased to be joined today by Colin and Ruth. Hi there. Hi. Good to have you both here. Maybe we'll just get the ball rolling straight away, uh, Ruth and Colin, by telling me a bit about why you're interested in being part of the podcast. Uh, look, for us, uh, for me in, in particular, I suppose, the idea of best practice uh, in early childhood intervention is paramount in the success of children's lives and for their development and for inclusion platforms to be spread across their um, natural environments like their home, their education centres and their community engagement places. Um, we've had an, an early child intervention or a key worker specialist, development specialist, uh, involved with our daughter since probably about 12 months of age. And um, just we've seen the amazing work that a key worker can do and how they engage with the family. They understand the holistic needs of the family and then can influence and support and help advocate uh, for a family's needs in, in all of those natural environments. And so uh, this podcast being about best practice um, is always, you know, the icing about best practice every day of my life. So, I, I, yeah. I like Thanks, Colin. It's going to be great to hear from you about what, what you think best practice is and how that's worked for your family. What, what about for you, Ruth? Um, I think just the opportunity to share a bit about our journey and to encourage others who may have um, children within the NDIS and, you know, sometimes there's a lot of hurdles that happen within that, but just to encourage people on how to get through those. Yeah. Um, and, and again, the, you know, just engaging with the best practice model and what that should look like. Mm, mm. Well, I think you're going to talk with us a lot about that and what it, what it should look like and what your experience was with it for your daughter. Colin, you said your daughter started with a key worker when she was very young. How old is she now? Uh, nine. She's, She's nine. nine. Ah, yeah. so, so you've been involved in early intervention services for quite some time. Quite some time. We've been involved yeah. even, even pre-NDIS uh, in New South Wales, so we were... Uh, is it Aqua and Better Start funding uh, at the time? I think that's what they were. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So the the earlier federal funding before the NDIS. So you you had early intervention from when she was a baby. What what did it look like then, and how's it changed over time for you? 
Um, it started off, you know, we start, she had heart surgery as a 10-week-old, so obviously we didn't start anything prior to that. It was just getting through to surgery. But from about 12 weeks old, we started with physiotherapy. Um, she has, her disability is Down syndrome, and so low muscle tone was a big issue early on. Um, and so we didn't um, have every discipline engaged from the beginning. We started with a key worker um, at 12 months, but I had already started physio prior to that. Yeah. Then once we got um, the key worker involved, we then, you know, we had an OT assessment, we had a speech assessment. Um, we decided at that point she was too young for OT at that point. So we just continued with the key worker, with physio and with speech. Um, and then whatever the physio and the speech therapist were doing, the key worker then incorporated that into our lives and into once she was two and went to a long daycare, um, they incorporated it in there and then into preschool and, and so forth and so on. Yeah. Um, okay. And so they were paramount in making sure that the strategies that the therapists were prescribing were implemented in her daily routines. Yeah. We might wind back a little bit just to help us understand who this key worker is. Is You've mentioned uh, a lot of the applied health professionals, the physio, the OT, the speech pathologist, but then there's this person called a key worker. Who, who is that and what does that person do? Uh, our key worker uh, is an early childhood educated teacher. Mm -hmm. um, we like to sort of refer to them as key worker development specialists, so they were able to identify the areas of development that our daughter uh, needed support in uh, and where she was going well and where the areas of need were. Um, so being an educator, they had a really broad a broad outlook or a broad scope and set of skills that was able to interpret some of the therapy jargon or the therapy language mm. uh, into, into really basic, easy to understand, easy to implement strategies, visual routines, visual aids, resources that were able, that we were able, play-based, a lot of play-based um, yeah. activities that we were able to then do with our child, our yeah. daughter, um, to help her. So it was fun for us and it was fun for her, but it was also helping her development at the same yeah. time. You've, you've just got that. that. Um, yeah. Sorry. A lot of it, you know, in those early days, um, communication is sort of, her nemesis and so a lot of it was based around those communication skills and developing those from things like um, implementing keyword signs so that she could communicate with us what she wanted so you know those basic needs in life you know I'm hungry I'm thirsty um, I'm cold I'm hot you know, I need help, all those things so that before she could speak, she was communicating to us. Yeah, yeah. And not just to us, the key worker, educator, because she of her education background, she was uh, welcomed pretty well into our early childhood daycare and long, long daycare centres and that sort of stuff. And she was then able to help the staff implement even keyword sign um, things within the classroom where the whole actual the whole classroom the whole all of the students all of the staff were all learning elements of keyword science so that they were able to 
help them understand and incorporate it into their daily activities and practice and make her feel included, you know, from the kids right through to the to the staff. And that progressed. You know, some of her friends that she was in daycare with went into her kindergarten class and her school classes and they've been able to help because they understood that from an early age, they've been able to help her um Communicate, communicate to them, even if she was signing that she was sick, maybe the teachers knew what the sign for toilet was, that sort of thing. But I remember once um, she was signing that um, she felt sick and um, the teacher didn't know, but one of the classmates knew what she meant. Um, and so, you know, that's inclusion. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love hearing you talk about this. You probably don't know, but I'm an early childhood educator by trade. It's how I began my career. And so it's really fabulous for me to hear about, from a parent's perspective, how a, um, what you call a key worker developmental specialist is, it sounds like almost translating some of those therapeutic goals and strategies so they're embedded in your routine and they're part of part of your family life, they're part of what's happening at preschool, but they're all based on play, having fun. And the yeah. beauty of having a key worker is they work across all those developmental yeah. areas. Um, it's a very broad spectrum. So they're not just focusing on their discipline and being siloed in their approach. They are actually focusing on all and incorporating everything. Um, so look, when we started our journey, we really didn't know what a key worker was or what they did. And, you know, in your head, you probably go, oh, does she even really need that? Um, am I better just to spend this funding on therapy? In hindsight, I would have a key worker before any therapist. Okay. Because they do work across all those disciplines. One of the major roles that they do is make sure that my child um, met her milestones in as quick a time as possible because with every milestone that's unmet, it then forces more delays. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I don't know what the developmental milestones are. I'm not early childhood trained. And so to have someone that was guiding us on what our focus needed to be so that it minimised her delays was paramount. Yeah. If I can go back a little, um, when she was very young and she'd um, got over her early surgery as a, as a newborn, you engaged with a physiotherapist and then it sounds like her communication became more important. So you started working with a speech pathologist. So you have been very involved with therapists along the We've way. We've always had therapists involved. Yeah. Always. Okay. It's yeah. never been one or the other, mm -hmm. but we've never done continual therapy of all therapies. Uh-huh. So, you know, when uh, I remember there was even a point um, when she was moving from that sit to crawl, doing that movement, our physiotherapist turned up for 20 minutes every day for two weeks just okay. to make sure that that transition happened correctly. And then we probably didn't see her for a month or two. 
Uh, so you'd have these kind of bursts of therapy right. when it was needed. Yes. Yeah. That's right. And then there were times when, you know, she'd, she'd had a bad illness once and she required some hydrotherapy to build her lung capacity. And so we did, you know, a three, you know, a term, three months of hydrotherapy with our physiotherapist. And then there's been times now she's older, we've done um, intensives in sort of circus movements. So cartwheels and um, bridges and handstands and roundoffs and those sorts of things, learning all those sorts of skills. And so we haven't, yeah, we just haven't bought into the you must have everything weekly, you must have everything fortnightly. It's not how development works. There are bursts of development in children and it's about seizing okay we need to focus on gross motor now because that's where she's thriving um, or wow she's now really uh, making incredible sounds and so forth let's do an intensive in speech um, communication has been her barrier so that has been the one that we have done fortnightly and regularly you know we've done intensives in holidays and so forth but we have still done it fortnightly to keep that up yeah. You mentioned that that's not how development works. It's also not how families work, is it? Yeah. Families well, have things in their life. Mm -hmm. It's not sustainable long term. Um, we're both working parents. And so to try, you can't do everything. You have to prioritise. And I think children get, um, you know, children who have a lot of therapy get over therapy. Um, and they don't they don't engage in it like they should if they're going off to a different therapist every afternoon. Mm. I've got a really clear picture of what that's looking like in your family. Colin, can I go back to you? You mentioned about the key worker um, really supporting inclusion. What, what do you mean by that or how did she do that? Well, again, you know, taking what a what the, the individual therapists, would say um, that we needed to do, but then incorporating that practice or those activities across where she lived, was educated, where she engaged in community. So, you know, our, our key worker educator was able to go into, come into our home and say, here's some play-based activities, board games, routine stuff, you know, visual aids that are going to help you um, put these routines in place and help her understand those routines through the visuals yeah, um, that she can then practice those things herself and know what she's doing, tick the box that she's done that activity today and that sort of stuff, make it a fun and rewarding sort of activity. But she could also go into uh, the Early Childhood Education Centre and talk with the staff um, around where to put visual aids, how to make sure that routines are managed well, even transitions between activities, how to ensure that she's you know, getting her energy out before they can transfer to the next activity because it may take her an extra five minutes to transition to an activity because she's still caught up in the other one, you know, and how to make sure that she brings the closure to that and then is able to open the next one, you know, yeah. or get involved with the next one. And also her community engagement, you know, um, she's an avid dancer, loves dancing. She does dance three afternoons 
a week, um, being able to go in and talk to the dance instructors about how to keep her engaged in the dance lesson, what happens if she has a meltdown, how do they treat that, you know, how do they work with her to bring those things out? Because, you know, she gets tired, low muscle tone is a big thing, Down syndrome. So, you know, she, when, when they're in a 40-minute lesson, she may get, at the start, she was getting pretty tired, she was getting pretty over it, you know, um, but she really loved doing it. And so they were able to work with her um, and make sure that she felt safe, that she felt included in the, in the activities. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those sort of things. It's not... Mm-hmm. Ruth has got some additions to that. <laughs> um, Ruth, Ruth has got her hand up. So <laughs> over to you, Ruth. The thing that Keywork did for inclusion was run a little social skills group within preschool. And so the key worker would go in fortnightly or weekly or whatever it was when they were doing it um, and do some play-based activities in the centre with her and a few of her friends. And so that helped the children learn how to work and operate with her, as well as upskilling the staff. Yeah, yeah. The, the bit about inclusion that I was asking you about, Colin, was her inclusion in early childhood when she was at preschool. Um, it was also with her friends and it was also out in the community when she's doing dance. What about now she's at school? Does the key worker support her inclusion at school? Um. I think Ruth, Ruth probably got a better understanding of that. Um, she, she's been more involved in the school's process. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it looks different now than mm-hmm. it is at school. Um, we did keep our key worker engaged through that um, kindergarten grade one, um, but it probably petered off a little bit, you know, and so really helped with that transition of school and then that first um six months at school getting everything set up and operating in that new environment but then there were little bits of social skills but it was probably in at that point it turned into a bit of an intensive sort of thing and uh-huh. so it wasn't the fortnightly it wasn't the regular it was just as required the key worker also helped us with um developing with the teachers and us in those ILP meetings, so those individual learning plans, um, and just keeping everybody in the ro- in the loop. And yeah. so, if the OT or something at that point was required to go into the school, the key worker would hear about that and then arrange for that to happen. And then the school would then be able to implement all those strategies, um, and we'd be kept in the loop with all. Yeah. Of okay. Well. So. I think- I think um, under the, the guise of best practice, I suppose, or even under the NDIS, it's the right person at the right time for the right outcome. Um, so it's not necessarily, you know, uh, we deal with a number of families. I see a lot of families who, who get told by professionals that they have to have therapy every week or every fortnight, and if they don't, the child's going to suffer and blah, blah, blah. And they do a bit of an emotional manipulation, I guess, uh, in a lot of circumstances around the child's needs where where the best practice model is actually bringing in the right person for the right need or the right outcome at the right time for that child's development at the stage that they're at. Yeah, um, And we, we are strong advocates for therapy. I believe that therapy is a very, very valuable um, tool that you can use to support your child and necessary. But, yeah, it, it is about when they're going to, maximize that development or maximize that that activity to to get the best outcome for the child at that particular time you know Mm -hmm. if if they're constantly in therapy and they're constantly doing three days a week or three different therapist sessions a week 
they they're going to get tired. They're going to get. They're not going to engage. They're not going to build um, on on the strengths that they've learned. Because you don't live in a you don't live in a clinical environment either. You live in you know your education centres. You live in your community. You live in your home. And so being able to practice those things in that environment in a clear and easy fashion, yeah, you know, and in a play based activity style approach, then you're doing it and it's fun. And you actually become it allowed me to become the parent that I want to be rather than a therapy assistant practicing this therapy and that therapy and doing that. I actually was just able to become dad, you know, and yeah. play games and have fun and read yeah. stories and bring all of that into the life that we currently lived. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, coming back to the, the essential bit about being being parents, being a family, and I love this nifty way you describe the right person, the right time and the right outcome, Colin. That's a nice way of us, for us to think about it. The other um, aspect of a key worker that's been helpful to me um, is that emotional side of, you know, being the parent of a child with a disability is taxing and I don't always get everything right. And so to be able to have a sounding board that I can go, you know, this is what's happening at school. Is this what they should be doing or should it actually look a bit different like this? And then the key worker be able to either talk me through it um, or to go in and find solutions for what might be happening. Even our daughter started at one primary school. Um, after um, sort of the first year, the wheels began to fall off in that setting. And so the key worker was able to attend meetings with me, um, be a sounding board for me, help me keep my head through that situation and not go into the school, you know, um, guns blazing, guns blazing emotionally. So while they're the support for the child and really a therapist for the child, they're also a support for the family. Yeah. And it sounds like a support you said emotionally, but also as an advocate. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so in those school meetings, our key worker was able to, um, express my concerns without the emotion, you know, whereas if it was left to me, you know, when you're in those settings, you always think of the great things to say after. Well, the great things were said in there because there was somebody who had the emotion removed from it that could say those things. Yeah, yeah. This emotional aspect is really interesting and given that we've got both of you here today, I'd like to hear more about that. Did you have different emotional needs from the key worker over the, the last nine years? Yeah, we definitely had different emotions or different um, expectations uh, from the diagnosis. From the get-go. From the get-go, from the very yeah. beginning, you know. Uh -huh. um, from nine weeks in the pregnancy, we found out we were having a girl and I was besotted and there was no way anyone was going to step in the way of her doing, making her life and being what she wanted, you know, and that, that was evident for me. Uh, our daughter had a post-birth diagnosis um, and when I was out of the room and they shared it with Ruth and I came back and, and the doctor pulled me into another little room and his first words were, I'm sorry. And then he went on to explain that my daughter has Down syndrome and you know, maybe she'll be able to work in a sheltered workshop one day and that sort of stuff. And 
And um, when I told him, I just said, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because you're not speaking about my daughter that way. My daughter's perfect by design, and you are no longer her pediatrician. Um, so I, I sort of had that the defiant dad attitude that she was never going to be known for a diagnosis from the get-go, you know, uh, and she was going to be her, she was going to be who she is, and she was going to be given every opportunity to succeed. Uh, and and I sort of held that level of expectation that she can do everything anyone can do. It just may take her a bit longer and we just need to be patient and um, enough with her to, to see her succeed. And mm. she's proven that she's done that every step of the way. Mm. Uh, and so I've, I've probably had that stand up, get in your face, get out of her way. Sort yeah. of so so I, I wasn't, I, I didn't, ha I haven't had my moments of, you know, of what's going on here, you know. Um, we have a blog site that we did when we first sort of found out for the first couple of years and, and our journey in that space, you know. Um, there's things in there, poems and things that I've written about, you know, my down moments or my moments of, oh, heck, what's going on here? Um, but the key the key worker for me is probably, has, I really haven't been involved that much with the key worker in that aspect, you know. Yeah, yeah. So although you you clearly have uh, emotions, <laughs> it, oh, yeah. You, yeah. you didn't have emotional support needs that you you required from the key worker, like Ruth has been talking about. Yeah. about support. I probably should have. <laughs> I probably yeah. should have shared and declared my emotions a little bit more than what I did, but you know. Um, but yeah, I, I I'm fairly. Um, mm -hmm. I try to be fairly stayed in a lot of aspects of life and have a bit of a take it as it comes, work through it sort of attitude. Um, yeah. The, the, the reason I was interested in hearing about that is because we all have different emotional responses to things that happen in life. Yeah. Um, and, and Ruth, you'd talked about that the key worker had supported that, um, your emotional needs at times. Yeah. Um, but you didn't have those needs, Colin, from the key worker. Uh, I think the key worker... She enabled me to be what I needed to be because she kept her communication strong with us. Uh -huh. um, so she, th there was clear communication about the things that she was engaged with, either therapists or, or school, um, and she would keep us informed. And for me, being informed or being is, is being empowered. As long as I know what's happening, that that sort of gives me the the confidence to say, yeah, my emotions are, are in check and I'm doing it yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Ruth had a much more personal relationship, I suppose, with our key worker. She's been there every step of the way, and she obviously um, has a lot more engagement with her than I did. Yeah. So. Mm. But you have a different relationship with her, Ruth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, look, in those early years, I'm a fairly guarded person anyway, and so, you know, there's things you hand over and there's things you, you just deal with yourself. Yeah. Um, and there's things that you share over time. Um, like I said, I'm fairly guarded to begin with anyway. Um, and so our key worker entered at sort of 12 months old. So a lot of it I'd gone through. I'd, I'd weathered myself and, and weathered as, as a couple. Um, and so, you know, it's a bit different to people that may be getting, you know, an autism diagnosis at two and a half years old and, and those sorts of things where, you know, they've seen their child in one light and then all of a sudden something's happened. Um, I can, you know, I think that would be fairly harrowing and to be able to, you know, have someone to walk that journey with would be phenomenal. 
Yeah, I, I think too that you know key workers as professionals can be um, there and an emotional support for some families, but they are professionals. That families have other people that they uh, talk to. It's low level emotional support. Yeah, you know, because, uh-huh. you know, people will need seasons of you know seeing a psychologist or whatever themselves or they'll have their own family that are that level of support to them as well yeah sometimes it's crisis management you know our key worker you know the work as we said wheels fall off on something and and for us that's really you know really important it needs to be dealt with now whereas the the key working goes well hang on it's not as dramatic as you may think it is we can actually improve things over time let's calm things down let's strategize a way out so they've they've been able to handle our crisis moments and bring those things down to a, to a manageable level you know, yeah. um, and support in that space as well it sounds to me like the ongoing relationship or the kind of continuity of care you've had with your key worker has been really important to get a good positive relationship and good communication with both of you. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. And and look, we haven't maintained the one key worker the whole way through. No. Um, we have changed key workers. And so that was an important thing as well, you know, where we'd had one key worker um, who had a real strong and heavy basis around communication. Um, But then once our daughter had reached an age where she really required that social skills and that scenarios happening, we actually um, changed key workers to somebody who that was their specialty. Um, and so we've even looked, so it's that seasons thing again where um, we've, we've got to a certain point and, you know, it was a mutual agreement that it was time that it was for us to change key workers and that was strategic. And so it might mean that some people have a early childhood um, qualified key worker um, you know, for those early years, and then sometimes there's you know primary aid, primary trained key workers as well that can really help with those um, early years of primary school. Yeah, yeah, and in some circumstances, in some services around Australia, the key worker uh, is an early childhood educator or developmental specialist. In some instances, they're a therapist, but they still take yeah. that holistic uh, role, thinking about whole child and whole family. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, for me, the educator element versus a therapist key worker, um, I'm not I'm not versus, but in comparison, I suppose, yeah, an educator is trained in a, n- a number of different developmental stages and, and, and awareness, whereas a, a therapist key worker has their single discipline, is most is mostly their, yeah, they've got the one discipline that they've been trained in and that's how they think. Yeah, and so for them to sort of broaden that spectrum a little bit and take a holistic approach is a little bit more difficult because um, they'll always have a bent back towards their particular discipline. Whereas an educator, they in, who have been working in the disability space for a fair amount of time, has gathered a whole lot of information from every different discipline, and then can translate that discipline down into you know, easy English and easy easy activities and easy things. So, so while they may not be a specialist in an OT, they may be a, as an educator. They have a wealth of knowledge still based on that from their experiences. Yeah. You know, so they can broaden that across the whole aspect of life. They're, they're just gold. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, a powerful argument there, Colin. <laughs> I, I wonder, just to finish off, if either of you have got any final thoughts or things you'd like to share with other families. I suppose one of the things is that journey with the NDIS. You know, we saw we had, as we said earlier, we um, we had better start funding prior. There was block funding through our ECI. Um, provider at one point and so you know there's always the argument of are we better off was the old system better we are far better off as a parent of a child with a disability the funding is far more we are far better off under the NDIS mm-hmm. um, and for families to have the level of choice and control that they have is just phenomenal you know, there are countries all over the world that do not have this opportunity and I strongly believe that we will see a huge difference in adults with disabilities from the children now, from this age group growing up now. Um, they will be far more inclusive in workplaces and so forth because of the opportunities and the level of development and therapy that they've had provided through the NDIS. Yeah. Mm. Thanks for sharing your thoughts about that, Ruth. What about you, Colin? Have you got any final words of wisdom you'd like to share? Um, That's going to be okay. Uh, Families, people listening, you're going to be okay. um, If you just have a high level of expectation that your child can achieve anything and everything, and you love your child and give them everything that you possibly can give them you, you know, um, in the way of a safe and secure home, you know, uh, a loving, encouraging environment, then they're going to be all right, you know, and you're going to be all right. You're going to make it. We are living in a very, very blessed country to be able to have this, the NDIS and, and have that support for our families and for our children, you know, um, so chin up, keep your head up, keep your eyes up and believe in, in your child and believe in yourself and you'll there'll be success. You'll see good things happen. Well, I think that's probably a, a perfect note to end on, uh, a really positive message for families who are experiencing some of those uh, things that you have as well. So thank you both very much for your, your time and thoughts and, and sharing what you have. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What an uplifting note Colin and Ruth left us on today. They were keen to talk about their family experience with an emphasis on what good early childhood intervention can look like. For them, it's been about the key worker model, having a consistent professional in the team who really understands child development, but is also interested in understanding and supporting the needs of the whole family. This approach is highlighted in best practice guidelines. The guidelines also talk about the importance of children's inclusion and participation. Ruth and Colin gave some really nice examples of that working well. We heard how their key worker went to daycare and kindergarten so that all the staff and children could learn to communicate effectively with their daughter using keyword signing. The focus on inclusion has continued now their daughter is in school with a key worker participating in individual learning plan or student support group meetings. Ruth said that having someone she had built a good relationship with who could help with advocacy, emotional support, 
and discussions about goals and strategies has been helpful over the years. We also heard how the key worker was able to translate therapy strategies into the home and preschool so that they could be incorporated into their daughter's daily life through play. Play came up quite a few times in our conversation. I was so pleased to hear how the specialist teachers were focused on play because it's fundamental to how children learn. Young children learn when they are doing the things they enjoy, building on their strengths, playing with other people. They're practicing new skills when they're having fun because they're motivated. I was also interested to hear Ruth talk about how the key workers were the consistent specialists in the team. Therapists came in and out when there were specific needs, like the physio who did an intensive burst of daily visits to their home. Ruth referred to this as seasons of support. What a great way to think about planning supports around their daughter's developmental needs, not just sticking to a schedule of weekly or fortnightly visits. Colin referred to this as the right person at the right time for the right outcome. And I like this phrase because it's about a flexible, individualised approach and has a focus on outcomes or goals. What it is that everyone's working towards to support the child's learning, development and well-being. The approaches Colin and Ruth talked about are all good, solid early intervention practices. The approaches are supported by current research and are described in our National Best Practice Guidelines. You can find them on the Ekia Victaz website. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Family Voices. Make sure you subscribe on your podcast app and feel free to leave a review to help us gain more of an understanding of what types of conversations are helpful to you. More information about the podcast can be found on ekiavic.org.au. Until next time, thank you for listening.